Hi, man. I'm in LA, SD here. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you all. I, I'm in Boston, Janet, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, Janet. Yeah. Cool. I just left, I just left LA, I moved. I left and went very, very remote central coast. So now I'm in Los Osos, California. Oh. Very small town. No, Morro Bay, effectively, if, if that helps. Um, nice to meet everyone. I am from Bellevue, close to Seattle, and a newbie to the XR world. Excellent. Welcome. Cool. Welcome. Thanks for doing that, Leila and Dominique. Thank you. Thank you for joining today's uh, event. Yeah. Uh, do you want to start? Hello? Sure. Yeah. I've already recorded. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Great. Cool. Well, great. Well, thank you for inviting me, Dominique. I appreciate it. Um, it's great. Uh, you know, two of my favorite subjects actually mashed together, which is really XR and location-based entertainment. Um, and so we're going to talk a little bit about the power of XR specifically in, in an LB environment. And we're going to talk about what, at least what I define as LBE, um, and sort of look at how that might be transitioning with the pandemic and what the future might kind of look like. So um, hopefully my slides actually connect to what I'm saying, but you know, um, we'll look, for, I look forward to the Q&A at the end. So, by the way, happy Halloween. I realized as I was like about to start that I should have probably dressed up. We should have all dressed up for this. <laughs> okay, <laughs> now my slides are not working. Excellent. Try this. Excellent. So a little background on me, um, not to make this about me, but just so you know how I got to where I am. Um, I spent the last 20 plus years uh, across entertainment tech and event production. Um, though not necessarily always together. And about four or five years ago, I decided that it was time um, to, to basically merge those three areas because they, they're areas that I, I loved. So figured why can't, um, why can't uh, the world exist with all three, which is what I call XR today and the uh, location-based experiences. So, um, so starting in that, in that world, I've worked across entertainment video games, um, both in product development and marketing. And um, in the last five years, as I said, I switched into this more location-based or modern location-based and then XR, um, having worked with companies like Enclu, who uh, the CEO is here, um, Meow Wolf, 2-Bit Circus, The Void, Area 15, and uh, I was also co-founder of One Dome, which will be one of the uh, uh, case studies we're going to look at today. And, um, and recently, not to plug the book, because this book is it's academic, so it's like $200, but recently got published in this book, um, got invited to participate with 20-plus authors um, in this book of Global Impacts and Roles of Immersive Media. Um, and I was fortunate enough to write a chapter on location-based entertainment. So let's uh, sort of get into this um, from an overview. Um, there's a lot. There's a lot we can cover, um, but I'm sort of going to be talking a little bit about the last few years uh, since 2015 and on um, how location-based entertainment has really um, come in onto the map. I mean, out of home entertainment, um, which is what location-based has been born from, it's been around forever. I mean, forever, ever being as 
going back to uh, the Romans and the Colosseum, I mean, that was an out-of-home or location-based entertainment experience, not necessarily in the manner that we describe it today. Um, so we'll be looking at the space and looking at how spatial technologies has transformed the space of lo location-based entertainment. Uh, we'll be looking at, you know, what has driven audiences or the consumer um, to make this space uh, as successful as it had been up to the pandemic. Um, and we'll look at, you know, some innovations that have happened during the pandemic and talk about what the future might look like beyond that. I know there's a, a number of people here new to the space or everyone has their own definition of the various acronyms that we, uh, we use in the space. So I figured we'd start with like setting some definitions here. So um, personally, I like uh, and prefer the use of cross-reality for XR, really being the mixing of various realities, but also platforms that might be physical location-based to a VR experience at home to a mobile experience in the street. So the ability to go across reality. Um, and the more traditional definition of XR is extended reality. Um, it's a combination of everything from AR, VR, and even AI. So if you think about projections, projection mapping, and interactive projection mapping, that in itself is a form of XR. Um, and then location-based entertainment, um, at least currently defined as a form of entertainment that takes place at a location outside of your home. Um, however, I do believe that we're seeing some innovation through the pandemic that makes the home itself a location, not a replacement for an out-of-home experience, but a location onto itself. And um, some other words that LBE has been referred to or might be referred to, or you've probably heard, is everything from experiential entertainment to immersive entertainment or transformational entertainment as well. And then spatial computing, I think everyone here hopefully is familiar, but uh, spatial computing is basically human interaction with machine um and um where you can manipulate your environment and um you know those include everything from ai and ar vr projections haptics those are all considered spatial so as we look into this space and um you know what it's been called especially in the last couple of years prior to the pandemic i mean Literally up until March of this year, everything in here rings true. The pandemic, you know, changed a very, uh, an industry that was on a hockey stick peak um, and has reset it. And unfortunately, because of that, a number of companies have not survived. Um, because of that, a number of companies have actually come into existence as well. So there's always innovation in this space. And I think we're going to see some interesting uh, things happening in the next few years. Um, but it has been defined as the experience economy and really around um, the research that's been conducted over the last several years. One of the most um, famous, I guess, uh, reports would be Eventbrite. And um, they brought out a study that effectively coined the space the experience economy and talks about how over 70% of Americans, um, so almost three quarters of Americans, um, believe that uh, attending an experience or a live event um, 
helps them stay connected to others. And as human beings, we are, and we need human, uh, we need social connection. And, you know, since social media came into play around 2008, seven, eight, since it really started to get popular in those years, um, we've started seeing uh, more and more people go behind the screen. And so this, this advent of um, out of home experiences, um, I think was part driven by the fact that we really needed to get out of the screen and out of the home and start to connect and be social in person. And, um, and also that ability to, um, to be participating in an experience as well. So, you know, if you look at entertainment to a large extent until that point, um, it had been very passive. If you think about going to the cinema, you're sitting there and you're consuming the entertainment that is being delivered. And behavior over the last several years has suggested that people want to be more participatory and engaged in their experience. They want um, an experience that they can be a part of the entertainment. And so, you know, this new generation of LBE was born. Um, and created a paradigm shift, um, delivering more interactive, immersive, collaborative, and purpose-driven to a certain extent. There are a lot of companies out there who are creating purpose-driven experiences. And out of this, um, several sub-nomenclatures, I guess, uh, were born. Uh, LBVR, location-based VR, location-based AR. Instagram or selfie museums. Uh, those are more commonly the Museum of Ice Cream or the Candidopia experiences, that is how they're referred to, or the immersive art parks like your Meow Wolf, um, Digital Wonderlands, like the uh, Team Lab or Wondome. Um, you have immersive theater, the most famous of which is Sleep No More, who's been around since 2007, I believe. And, um, and domes, uh, 360 domes, everything from what Madison Square Gardens is about to launch in Vegas with the MSG, MSG sphere to uh, domes that exist from Wisdom in LA to, to others. Domes themselves are very much LBEs. And then the micro amusement park, um, companies like uh, Two Bit Circus, that, that's sort of redefining the family entertainment center um, or the FEC. So um, with, uh, with this, like I said, a new generation of LB is born. And though we have an hour, uh, we have a long time today, I didn't want to start to go into every single one of these with the different, um, the, uh, different examples, but we'll talk about a few um, I've called out here. Um, some that to me really stand out um, that I don't really talk about um, in detail here, but, but worth looking into, at least reading up about it, obviously not really experiences that are, uh, well, some of them are actually in existence right now. Uh, the War of the Worlds, uh, based in London, um, was quite an amazing VR experience. Actually, it was, it, I wouldn't call it an, a VR experience. It was, it was an experience that was blending uh, free roam and seated VR as well as actors. So it was fully immersed. And then you had the physical set, the integration of. So it's, it in itself is mixing realities. It's mixed reality or XR. Um, uh, if anyone's familiar or had, had the uh, opportunity to experience Alexander Inaritu's Carne Iorina, 
um, which is which was a production, a VR production that took seven years in the making, and it was it was uh, done in collaboration with ILM, X Lab, and a number of other partners. Um, and what it was is it was a single person experience that put you at the border, the U.S.-Mexico border, along with several other um, people who are crossing, who are trying to cross over, and and literally has you experience their experience very very powerful very emotional very visceral experience um to someone something like a mirror shot mirror shot uh, based out of paris they're a band um that has that basically delivers live concerts but in vr so the audience is you're all in a venue seated together but with vr headsets and um and so you're able to but you have passed through so it's 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 uh, you're able to see the the real world as well as the vr world so at parts you're you're basically brought into the music experience and the music video per se and at parts you're able to see the band as they um as they um dance or play around you which is very very unique experience that will be launching um they will actually be starting a concert series in early 2021, fingers crossed. And uh, Area 15, if you're familiar, or they are in Las Vegas. They are a an amazing example of the evolution of retail, per se. Retail, as we've seen over the last several years, has been um, has been a dying industry especially physical retail. And we started to see that around the world, not just the US, where experiences like the void or other types of um, LPEs per se, uh, were being opened up in shopping centers and malls, um, partly to drive people to these locations. So they'd actually spend money in the retail. But what we're now seeing is that just the retail side of it is, is, is really just hurting so badly that now you have, you know, hundreds and millions of square feet um, around the country, around the world of real estate that exists, that um, it's not much happening with it, that, that can be transformed through space with spatial tech or with physical uh, artscapes into experiences that people can come and enjoy. So we're definitely seeing Area 15 as an uh, launched they have 85 acres of, of property on in Las Vegas, of which 200,000 square feet is currently um, has has opened up, and they actually did a soft open in September. Um, and they they are a they call themselves an immersive bazaar, and that what they what it is is kind of the future mall, I guess. Without I use mall loosely in this context um, because it's really not driven by um, uh, capitalism per se. It's more driven by play, social connection and experience. And so um, what they have is they have a series of tenants, um, the, uh, the flagship tenant being Meow Wolf, um, who are opening their, ben, um, their space in there in February. But they have a number of tenants that are a variety of location-based companies such as um, VR or um, I do believe uh, there'll be immersive dining, there'll be other types of immersive experiences 
as well as some experimental retail and some um, very, very futuristic types of dining. And so you're starting to see, um, see locations that are entirely dedicated, similar to the theme parks or similar to the old school family entertainment centers dedicated to this new experience economy. So what, why, and you know, what's the appeal? I mean, if you think about it, what is it that has been driving people? We know that they want, people want to be, well, we do. I mean, I'm just going to talk for myself. I want to be participating in my experiences, you know, and I want them to be with my friends. And, um, and I want to be able to share and remember those memories. And so, you know, a memory is irreplaceable and, you know, it's uh, you start to see locations themselves become really powerful storytelling platforms. And XR as a technology is already very powerful in the fact, way that it delivers uh, visceral experiences. Um, you know, you're able to introduce audiences to magic and whether it's taking them away from a reality into fantasy or whether it's bringing them closer to reality and the magic of nature and the world and what we have out there. And that's, that's something that we haven't been able to do um, outside of cinema or outside of a theme park um, where we can be transported to these other worlds. Um, bringing people together in ways that inspire that create delight surprise and all um, and generally you're able to create connections with strangers in these types of experiences because you're creating wow moments and wow moments are moments that want to be shared with others that are around you so it's always a great sort of calm icebreaker um, and it's really bringing out the inner child the play um, play is so important. Um, I think we take ourselves a little too seriously often. So, you know, looking at this, looking at the space, looking at the last few years, um, let's look at some of the numbers and the successes. If you just look across, and I'm, I'm going across LBE um, in a more traditional sense right now. I'm going across the larger experiences. I'm not talking here specifically to XR-driven LBEs. But here are some numbers that can be shared. If you, Team Lab, who if you're not familiar, Team Lab is an artist collective out of Tokyo, um, who have been creating large scale immersive projection mapped experiences for years. Um, they launched their first permanent installation um, a couple of years back in. Tokyo and had over 2 million people in their first year, which is crazy. Santa Fe, uh, Meow Wolf, um, if you're familiar with Meow Wolf, currently has a Santa Fe location. They are opening Las Vegas in February and then Denver following that. Um, and they are physical artscapes that are immersed with deep narrative um, that create alternate reality, alternate realities and stories that you can follow through. Um, Meow Wolf also understands the power and sees the power of XR and um, in accentuating and augmenting uh, the narrative and storytelling. And they are actually currently um, exploring and integrating um, 
AR, immersive AR technologies into their current space and looking at how that plays into future spaces as well. Um, so understanding that it's not just one realm, but you're able to, um, you're able to bring many layers of story to life using these tech. So as we sort of look at this, I, I've, well, I included a couple of quotes um, from some friends um, that I thought were really relevant to the conversation. Um, Scott Landon Keller, who's a good friend, he's a co-founder and CTO at Zero Latency, who are a large location-based VR company. They have over 60 locations globally. Uh, they're based, uh, they originated out of Australia. Um, you know, I think he says something super interesting here. Um, we're at a place with entertainment um, because of LBE, where we're finally abstracting the tech from the experience so that you can truly focus on consuming the content with every part, every one of your senses without the medium getting in the way. The more we can continue to push the technology out of the way while enhancing the seamlessness of human interaction, the more powerful immersive media will get. And I think this is, really um, prevalent point. It's, it's the first time, at least I believe, that, and it's the chapter in the book that I was referring to that I wrote, is that how immersive technology can make us more human. It's the first time that I believe technology can be used to actually make us more human as people. If you think about a few things with the tech, if you think about how you can integrate biofeedback into the experience so that you're tracking someone's heart rate or you're tracking their breath. Um, and you're able to, based on that measurement, you're able to um, deliver experiences accordingly. That in itself um, is incredibly powerful and can lead to empathy building and compassion. If you think about, imagine a mixed reality experience where you are surrounded by physical landscapes similar and we'll talk about um, some of these examples but imagine that you are surrounded by a physical and virtual world mix um, with this gorgeous flora and fauna and your excitement has you running on coming on quite strong to a flock of very colorful fun looking birds that exist in the experience now that motion can be detected with the technology. And you're coming in strong. If you're coming in strong toward a flock of birds in real life, they're gonna go away. And so in the same vein of the experience, it can, it can actually read that. And in the same vein, those birds might scurry off, they get scared off. And so in that moment that you might be disappointed and sitting there in disappointment, that's actually a moment of presence, that's a moment of calm and maybe they come back. Now, this is an extreme example of how the tech can be used to help us connect those dots. What is, wait, was it my behavior that scared the birds off? Um, this is a simple example of something like that. And then, so my just being here, my being calm, am I not, you know, and then they come back. These are the kind of things that we can start to do. And you can do these in fantastical environments where people don't feel like they're being impacted or educated or, or whatever it might be. Um, something else to consider with immersive and with location-based specifically, but immersive is 
this is, it takes away the barriers between content and um, consumer or user. Um, it takes away the barrier between the artist and the audience, and it changes that relationship and allows you to be part of that. Um, and and you're being part of that and participating affects your entire experience. You know, you're you're effectively bringing you you to the experience, which is a unique, which will be unique to the person next to you and and anyone else that you're going in with. So another quote that I thought was, you know, relevant with what we're talking about here is uh, from Vince Cadlebeck, founder and director of Meow Wolf, who says, you know, the future of entertainment and storytelling is the complete convergence of imagination and reality. And that's what we're seeing, or we were seeing um, up to the pandemic. And we, we are starting to see it again, and we will continue to see it. I don't believe that location-based entertainment is dead. And, um, in fact, it's actually coming back a lot faster than thought about and anticipated. And it's just not going to be in the same vein and way as it was last year, possibly. And I don't think that's a bad thing necessarily. Like with any market that might come and oversaturate a little bit, it gets corrected. And you start to have the experiences that, um, that add value to people's lives. So that when you think about how do I spend 20 or $40, um, you know that you're able to you're able to know that you're going to come out with uh, some level of mind blown or transformation. So this next few slides, we start to get into talking about some examples and talking about some of the things I've spoken about, bringing those into my experiences and how we've tried to not only parlay some of that into real life experiences, but also lessons and learnings, and then how that's transformed over time. So as, as I was mentioning, I think, you know, one of the most exciting, um, one of the most exciting aspects of AR and VR for me is, um, and XR actually, even projections and being surrounded by um, the haptic element, the AI element, those are, um, it's the power of those technologies and what they can do, the transformational nature of the technologies themselves and how that can impact the individual. Um, and we're seeing that in VR, you see that on the enterprise side, on the healthcare side, on the mental health side, you're starting to see how VR, for example, is being used um, for PTSD. You're starting to see how VR is being used for pain management these themselves imply and show the power and the visceral nature of the technology, the ability to change and transform and impact. And so in that same vein, you can start to leverage some of those, um, those uh, experiences and those features um, in storytelling. And we can start to create experiences that aren't just pure fantasy and take us outside of this reality, but we are currently in a reality that's pretty scary. And, you know, we don't have to get into the sociopolitical side of things, but let's just look at climate alone. And the fact that we are on a trajectory towards, uh, it's a scary place. I'm not even going to 
put it out there. But we're we're not in we're not heading in a good place from a climate perspective. And unless we do something on a mass scale to change these behaviors, to change our behaviors, to be able to to actually impact, you know, that's just you know the changes are going to come slow and they're going to come um, come with challenges. And I think one way, and this is just my perspective, this is uh, that we can influence on mass and um, do it in a way that doesn't feel like we're being we're influencing people is through um, location based XR driven experiences. So where you see this little creature here that's is that's on the slide. This is a real creature. This is the Venezuelan poodle moth. You can Google it. It's real. It's adorable. I think it belongs in every experience we we believe in. I mean, we sit there, and the reason I bring this up is we sit there and we um we uh we see so many experiences and so much content created that is based pure in fantasy, and there's nothing wrong with that. But what that isn't doing is isn't it bringing us closer to the realities, closer to each other, closer to humanity. It's kind of just escape from. What if we could create fantastical worlds that were rooted in reality, that had this little poodle moth and every other unique, crazy, wacky looking creature that exists, the flora and fauna in this world alone, you don't need to go into fantasy to create, like you could just look at what we have in existence. And if you're able to now take these elements, this flora and fauna, and tell stories through their, you know, in, in fun ways and have people engage and be able to understand. I'm going to show an experience in a bit that, that takes you into the world of the sequoias and nature at that way and being able to feel the power of nature. And so we have an opportunity with XR to create experiences that are fun and that are impactful and that could actually have people walking out of there and going, wow, okay, I didn't realize that. I didn't realize how bad it was. Oh my God, I, if, I didn't know that my, the smallest thing I can do here will have such a big impact. These are things, we have an opportunity and I think you can do it in really fun ways um, using storytelling in XR. And why do it in location? Why is it important for these kind of experiences to be in a physical location? Um, you know, in my mind, it's because when you're able to mix realities, and we'll get into this with, with Wondome in a second and looking at the Unreal Garden, when you're able to mix realities, you have a physical space that looks like a forest, you add sound spatially, you add projections to bring life to the space in a passive way, but also interactive projections. You then add AR, and you add haptics and you add other elements because you're seeing a physical tree and an AR hummingbird, that AR hummingbird kind of has your, your foot. You can see the person next to you. You're, you've got a HoloLens on, so you're seeing the person next to you. These, what you're experiencing becomes more real because you have connection to your reality. So you still have grounding there. So that's again, a theory, but um, I do believe that, uh, you know, we've seen it work and, um, and hope to see it continue to work. So I will show an example of that with, uh, with Wondome. Um, Wondome was a um, no longer around, short-lived 
um, came to market, launched a few experiences, had huge success in those experiences and closed down. Um, we had a space in San Francisco. We launched three experiences, one of which is the first to market and that has currently living on through um, Enclu, um, who, were the, who are the technology and creator platform behind the Unreal Garden. And um, in, those, in the nine months, one day, so 120,000 people come through the doors, which is quite amazing, I think, in numbers um, for an unknown brand, 40,000 of which experience the Unreal Garden, which, is, uh, which we'll talk about. It's a first to market um, using uh, AR versus VR and had 40 plus people in experience simultaneously. So when you think about location-based VR and the fact that you are with other people, but you're not seeing each other, and uh, it's generally limited to max of eight people, maybe 10 in some instances, uh, a lot of which is driven by violent shooting games. And we all like to kill zombies from time to time. I'm not knocking that, but um, be nice to start to see uh, or, or be in experiences that are super fun and we could be still doing things um, that are interactive and like, um, might be puzzle solving or other things that, you know, that are basically driving people, but they don't need to be killing things. Um, anyway, rambling, sorry. It's very hard to present just to a screen. <laughs> so even though I know there's a lot of people watching this, it's just a very uh, unique uh, experience here. So, um, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna show you a video. Uh, it's actually a CBS uh, news piece that was done on OneDome. And the reason I'm sharing it is because it gives you an overview of what OneDome was um, and sort of some, um, and experiences that are to come. Okay. There's no sound, Lila. Oh. Did you say there's no sound? Yeah, that's me in Ireland. Maybe it's an Irish thing. <laughs> I don't know. Does anyone else? Uh, can someone I don't else? Hear it either. It might be because you're. I don't. I don't hear it. Is it because my headphones? Are yeah. On? That's Oh, again, can you hear me? Just go like that if you can hear me. Can you hear me? Yep. All right, cool. All right, hopefully this works. Technology Just go is like that. Art to life in a digital wonderland on Market Street. KPX Files Betty U takes us into San Francisco's One Dome. Inside One Dome, you're transported to a futuristic digital playground of sorts. Spin these around. The immersive art destination on Market Street features experiences created by artists from the Bay Area and around the world. I think they should leave their expectations at home and have an open mind um, because it will blow most expectations out the water. I mean, some of the things we're doing um, have never been done before. One of those is the Unreal Garden the first ever mass consumer mixed reality production, which uses augmented reality in a forest. 
the reason we chose AR is because connection requires eye contact, and um, VR is an isolating experience still to date. So we basically um, have 25 people in an experience at one time able to see what each other is doing. The Luminol installation takes people through a maze of 14 Instagram-friendly rooms. One of the exhibits here resembles a human kaleidoscope. This is one of several infinity boxes featured at Wanda. This is a virtual waterfall, and with my feet, I can divert the direction of the water. Wondom says it's using tech to open up art to the masses. You know, technology today has sort of disconnected us from each other, and immersive tech, which enables us to actually come together and to connect with each other, to be social, and to bring us closer to the magic of realities. Its latest production is doing just that through food. Feast is a pop-up dining communal experience. Here the menus are digital. Each of the five courses for 32 people is coordinated with changing tablescapes that respond to hand motions. Check out the steak entree. It was pretty immersive and it's a great experience to wallow in with the, the artwork and be a part of it. I mean I've been to like Sportorium and that's like engineering and all that stuff but this each room that just pulled you into the room. On the night beat, I'm Betty Yu. One Dome will update its exhibits throughout the year and will constantly feature new and different artists. Technology is up. Okay. Um, and the next few slides are pretty much videos, so you can have a um, have a break from my voice for a bit. Um, I'm going to take you through the Unreal Garden. Um, and a couple of versions of it um, and talk about the power of mixing realities and, and you know, something I'm super passionate about. So at OneDome, we launched a first to market, um, by that being the first really mass scale consumer AR experience. Um, and that was using immersive, so using the HoloLens, which, um, and it was the HoloLens one, uh, which wasn't ready for or still necessarily uh for consumer mass consumer play but um we had an incredible team in Anglu who were just pulling it off and able to uh evolve the tech um to work um with our experience and um we first launched the unreal garden as an art exhibit and the goal here was how can we um open up art to a larger audience um who aren't necessarily into it who who don't necessarily see they they sort of the perceptions they have about it is kind of boring and then also how do you start to open up the art market to to new creators and artists and so we decided to build a physical space that looked like a forest we added uh, sort of all the things i mentioned we added uh sound projections ar um and a number of other uh, elements and uh, had a 40 person experience. We included nine artists from around the world and we actually took each of these artists, not all of the artists were um, digital artists themselves. Um, some were very much traditional artists or mixed media artists. Um, we had a couple out of the UK who, uh, who basically had a beautiful glass sculpture um, of which the art piece wasn't just the sculpture itself, but how the shadow, um, the light would reflect off the sculpture and onto the ground. Um, we had another artist who created um, 
creates uh, art out of plastics, reuses them to tell a story around waste. And um, we took her piece and we, um, we transported, transferred it and cre we created it inside of 3D. We had a can well, on canvas to pencil sketches. The pencil sketches were brought to life as full 3D jellyfish versus just, you know, a flat 2D image. And um, so this first video here was uh, the original uh, Wonder, uh, Unreal Garden trailer um, from 2018, the, or 20, late 2018, early 2019. And then we will, um, then I'm gonna show you some videos um, from the artists themselves, just to, the reason I chose those videos is really to show the power of this medium and how the artists themselves look back at the work and, and what they thought. And then we'll go into some other examples. Hopefully you can hear if you just, if you can't hear, shout. Mosley had the, um, they were the two artists out of the, from the UK who created the glass sculpture. I'm Edward Schuster. And I'm Claudia Mosley, and together we're Schuster and Mosley, and we're based in London. Our piece in the Unreal Garden is Future Bodies, and we developed this piece by thinking about the the lack of physical dimensionality of the screen and trying to sort of morph that into more bodily forms. For us, the reason it was really interesting to, to take part in this is because in our work, we look at the materiality of technology. We're looking at what happens when what's like reality is compressed into the dimensions of a screen. Yeah, and I think the HoloLens creates this kind of meta layer to look at the topics that we've already been exploring in our work. So it's sort of a natural evolution. So for us, it had this really interesting relationship with, with what was being done at the Unreal Garden because it has this kind of uh, interaction between the sort of end of, of us, of our bodies, and the beginning of the physicality of technology. So we met on a tree-dwelling protest site. Um, when we first started collaborating, we started looking at the interaction between nature and culture. Um, and as we started collaborating more, we started drawing on our backgrounds. So uh, my fine art practice looks at deconstructing cinematic and photographic apparatus. Um, and Ed's background is in philosophy, looking at the interaction between technology and consciousness. 
we met about 10 years ago now, and we started out by working with uh, structures and architecture, and so that has gradually morphed into more work to do with technological medium, so mainly working with glass and light. Art is the immediate way of dealing with what comes next. It's a compulsion. I don't know how to describe it other than that for me. There was never any option of doing anything else or being anything else. I think it's also about not looking at these kind of experiences as a novelty. As such, like, I think it's important to consider the kind of lasting effects that it, it has on us because it's very easy to walk into these kind of experiences and think that they're you know, fun and engaging, but actually what's happening to us on a deeper level is, is far more interesting than that and also a lot more personal question to be considering, especially given our interaction with technology and how pervasive it is and everything we do now. I'm Jasmine Pradesito. I'm an artist known as a quantum artist from London, and I've um, created a piece that's been turned into an augmented reality experience with Wonder. I want to be able to say things that are important and serious, but in a childlike, playful way. What is quite interesting about AR is almost a true marriage of science and art. All of a sudden, you can open up a part of the mind where they're thinking about, oh, this looks like a plant. Do I really interact with plants? Do I interact with real trees? Do I? So art was something that uh, I grew up with. Then, for one reason or another, I ended up going into the sciences and ended up doing a PhD. And the only reason I went back to art college is because I didn't understand the language of art. So I trained as a painter. And then I had a brilliant tutor who came in one day and said, you know, I, I realized you got a PhD in physics and why are you painting like this? And I still remember at the time going, oh my God, am I allowed to? Am I allowed to mix the two? Because I think for a very long time, artists have taken from science, but not the other way around. And I thought, well, why not just start with pure light? That's what my research was in. So the piece that um, has been translated at one day is, is two hands capturing a butterfly. So the idea is to, to capture this thing and then to let it go. For me, it's about appreciating the fact that the stuff we take for granted isn't necessarily always going to be there. So what can you do as an individual to protect it? Whenever you create something, it's literally your baby. It's just amazing to give it up, freeing your work and going, I trust you enough to go and play with it and do something else with it. So this idea of one day taking the most futuristic methods and combining it with the more traditional is so exciting for me. This is a new renaissance. Wow, sorry. Like yeah, every time, a little <clears throat> emotional with those videos. Um, takes some nostalgia to you. Uh, but yeah, so I hopefully that um, yeah is a good example of the power of the medium and how you can use it in so many different forms. Nope. Nope. Cool. And then um, so as we as we close down one dome, 
we actually took the Unreal Garden on the road. Um, first, starting at E3, E3 invited us actually to bring the Unreal Garden to E3 last year, which is the video games conference, uh, the annual um, video games conference that's been going on for years in Los Angeles. And um, we were effectively the entertainment that year for the attendees. And we had a 6,000 square foot pop-up um, inside of the main hall um, that was basically saw lines the whole time. I think we saw just under 7,000 people got through the experience in less than three days. And this video shows you the experience of E3. It's, it's from a, it's a press video. Um, it also shows you the evolution of the Unreal Garden um, away from traditional, well, there's nothing traditional about it, but traditional art exhibit per se, into more of a fantastical mixed reality experience, multiplayer, um, where you could uh, see what each other is doing as well as um, create experiences, uh, create things together. And so play the video here. about this iteration of the Unreal Garden was that we added haptics and interactive projections. So this is in, in, in San Francisco, it was very much passive projections. And we created a, a rock wall. We actually had a massive prop rock and um, a pond in front of it. And we had these four pedestals um, and when you put on a HoloLens, you saw these orbs, these AR, augmented reality orbs, floating over the pedestals, each with a different color. And when you step up to it, um, it's very clear that you need to touch the orb. And as you touch the orb, we had put, um, we'd used um, uh, uh, haptics, uh, ultrasonic waves, effectively ultrasound waves that when you put your hand over it, you feel resistance because of the ultrasound waves. So, um, so as people went to touch the orb, they actually felt the haptic. So the, the experience was even more visceral because they actually connected with something even though there was nothing in the air at the time. And so as you hit an orb, not only did you feel the physical um, reaction of that connection, but then that color would be projected onto the rock. Now, if 
four people stepped up and did it simultaneously, then it would reveal uh, an Easter egg projection on the rock to, to denote basically, you know, as an individual, the experience can be great, but together when you collaborate or connect, it's even better. So these, these are sort of the things that you can do with mixed reality. Um, now, one thing that uh, in the earlier video on One Dome, um, I'd like to call out because we're gonna sort of step into actually, not yet, sorry. Um, no, we're gonna finish this, uh, this, uh, this piece before I get into that. So one other example um, that I wanna show um, specific to mixed reality that's impactful, that, that, can, that puts us at one with nature, that creates empathy and compassion and you know, consideration um, for you to change your behavior or do things differently every time. It was a exhibit that was in London last year that was um, called We Live in an Ocean of Air. And it was by a company called Marshmallow Laser Feast. Uh, they do phenomenal activations. And they created a multi-sensory uh, installation where you had, uh, there was VR, you were aware of VR, but you also um, had biosensors that were picking up your breath and your heartbeat. And um, those would then connect with the experience around you. And it would put you inside of, unfortunately there aren't any great videos that I found that show the real experience, but this kind of gives you a little bit of a feel or not. You can see how you are impacting your environment. I definitely encourage you to, to look that one up and, and see some user videos. Um, specific to that. All right. And then one more example here of um, using immersive tech, um, both in a location experience, but also to convey something that's never been seen before. So in this example, a company called Ouch um, from Turkey, who do incredible um, data-driven, AI-driven uh, projection mapping experiences. Large-scale, generally outdoor. And this is um, an experience they did in Brazil that um, shows, or for them, it was an art piece showing the building, um, the consciousness of the building itself.
So they had programmed this. It, it would basically change throughout the day and um, be, you know, based on the time of day and the day of the week, there'd be different types of experiences that would be conveyed, um, which is pretty awesome. These guys do amazing work. And I'm happy to, if anyone has follow-up questions or like wants a list of uh, companies to look at, happy to share that afterwards. Okay. So um, this, you know, what we've sort of looked at is um, consumer motivations, this new uh, form of entertainment and everything really up till earlier this year. Um, and then a pandemic happened. And all this success and all this momentum around a space that was just growing exponentially just went away um, suddenly. And thankfully, it's a industry of creatives and innovators who really uh, innovated. I mean, we saw, and uh, I'm glad I didn't list a bunch more examples. We've only got a couple more, but we saw some amazing uh, innovation happen from every type of company. Immersive theater companies, the Geffen Playhouse created a sub-brand called Geffen Stayhouse, and they created an immersive theatrical production called The Present, and they would physically send you a gift, a present, that you were not allowed to open until your experience. And you'd have about 20 people on Zoom and a, and a narrator who was also a magician who would um, interact with the audience. And at certain points, the audience would interact with each other and open the present. And he told the story and he'd do magic trips along. I mean, really cool. Is it the same as being there? No. But, you know, this this is still important to be able to deliver these types of experiences. Um, you, you know, we saw, we started to see the rise of uh, VR escape rooms, which is fantastic. If you haven't done one, you should. Adventure Labs, a great company um, for that kind of content. Um, we'll, we saw and we will see, I'm going to show you some examples of, <laughs> you know, I've been talking about location-based entertainment. The definition of location-based entertainment, as we see with everything, anyone who defines it is, is is uh, entertainment at a location outside of one's home. I think the pandemic has created an opportunity for the home to be considered a location as well. And the same kind of motivations that drive us to connect out there, while we cannot in the same way, can allow us to do that in VR, for example. And though on the Unreal Garden video, I'd said that connection requires eye contact, and that's why, and, and VR isn't there yet. I, I, I take those words back. This year changed that for me. And I was fortunate and grateful enough to um, be, be invited to be part of um, uh, the team that uh, built Burning Man in VR. Not for the first time, Burning Man, Second Life built Burning Man in VR a few years ago, but that didn't quite. I think everything from where the technology was to where the consumer was, you know, I think with the pandemic, the a little bit more growth of consumer at home VR and um, certain events having to innovate. Um, we, we saw some amazing numbers with this experience and I'm going to share with you what, what BRC VR was for me was an example of how you can create social connection and community in VR, even when staring at a cartoon looking like Avatar and not looking at that person in the eyes. 
the experiences that were recreated are not just for me, and I got goosebumps when I say it. Um, I can, you know, you can talk to any one of the attendees of, of BRCBR of that week, and every one of them would say the feels are real, um, the connection is real. I mean, you know, the same time, I mean, granted, you're not in the desert, you're not physically there. You know, a lot of people would say, hey, it's great. I didn't have to spend the money, didn't have to drive 12 hours, don't have to be in the dirt, you know, in the dust and all these things. But it's, it's not about replacing an experience. It is, it's about recreating an experience that's, uh, that, that can be done in the home. And also, what does that look like post-pandemic? Can there be accessibility to experiences and events that might never have been there before? And, um, or might, you know, people who would never, because of geography, because of monetary, or because of other reasons, would not go to Burning Man or any other type of experience, but now have that ability to do so in, um, in this virtual space. And it doesn't work for every type of event, but I think, you know, the experience that was had by many, and, and I can talk from my own, is like, you know, one of the biggest parts of a Burning Man the physical Burning Man is like running around the playa with your friends, seeing art and, you know, and immersing yourself in large scale art and going to um, dance parties and, and so on. And that's exactly what that was. That's exactly what the experience is. And by the way, BRCVR is still available. It's on Altspace. If anyone wants to, it's open. Not all the worlds are still there, but um, a lot are. Um, we actually broke some record numbers. I'll show you the trailer in a second, but for VR, we had over 12,500 unique attendees the week of the event. And then that's for VR is huge. Um, they were, and that there was a significant component of that was headset based. Um, and then it, the rest was PC or Mac. Um, but that's a, that's a big number. I mean, 12,500 in the grand scheme of things, actually that was the number of attendees, I think in 98 at Burning Man. But also if you think about where we are in immersive tech, right now where we are with AR, VR and, like, um, you know, liken it to the web around 2004. I think the numbers make sense. Um, so it's, it's, it's promising and exciting, but the biggest point of this and the reason to show this is one, I mean, I think everyone knows Burning Man, but to, to show what's possible in, in VR, but also to say that you can actually create connection and social VR has evolved significantly to be able to allow that. So in a time where we are socially distanced, physically distance let's create social connection where we can and and there are opportunities um, such as this one
Um, I think, you know, the ability to fly in VR made the experience all that much better. Especially, all right, if you think about it, the, the, your scale, your, your, in BRC VR, you are standing in the art at the original scale of the art. And the one thing that you can't do in real life is fly to the top of the art, look at the art from a different vantage point than you can when you're in VR. And I think that's pretty extraordinary. Um, I talked about how you can create location-based experiences inside of VR. And that I know that's an oxymoron, but let's, let me show you um, an example of that, which is a full dome experience, so a 360 dome which already is an incredibly powerful, by the way, if you, if you, whoever hasn't been to a dome, please definitely go and experience a dome production um, when you can, because just being inside a 360, it's very, very powerful and impactful. And now put yourself in, in that scenario in VR. And uh, Android Jones has a famous uh, 360 production called Samskara, and we were able to uh, recreate that. Um, we were able to recreate the experience and show it as it might be. This is only a small clip, it's a little jarring, but you can see how you're now going to a dome with your friends. <laughs> you're in there with your friends and yet this is fully 360 with the ability to break out of it too. So in the, you know, in these days of we can't go places, well, we can start to have these kind of experiences. You'll start to see more of them show up in VR for now. Well, well, we're, you know, and then I think one of the things we'll see mo more and more is, um, is, are these extensions of out of, well, out of home or physical location experiences that will start to, um, that will basically continue to exist post pandemic. So these digital and virtual experiences will become extensions of those physical world experiences and enable the IP or the world or the story or the characters to be able to go beyond just that one experience, which I think is really powerful. Um, the last example, and I do believe we're at the end and might've even gone over now, it's shocking. Um, so is Lost Horizon, another example of a uh, festival being recreated inside, a physical festival being recreated inside a virtual uh, space. And that was done, I believe, on Vivella, uh, on the Vivella platform. So there was a mobile and a desktop and a VR experience, which was the Lost Horizon uh, Festival. And this is just the video of the space. This is not the video of the event itself. If you Google, if you Google it, you'll be able to see actual concerts. shows you full stage production for a full-blown music festival. Um, yeah, so I think that is it really. Um, 
you know, just what does it look like in the future? I think there's greater accessibility to experiences and locations. I don't think any of the virtual or digital extensions that are being created now will go away. I think they'll, they'll find new ways to exist. Um, yeah, and um, that's it, really. Talk a little bit about me, but you can have the deck. Thank you. Oh, thank you, Lila. Yeah, any questions? Anyone? Feel obliged. How do I stop this? That was great. Thank you. Thank you. Laila, it's uh, Fergus here. Can I ask uh, just a question on um, the company I'm, that, I, that I run? It's a small company, so we don't have the big budgets to make big, you know, expensive productions using a lot of immersive tech, but we, we do. We do some cool little applications using mobile and AR, um, but I still don't think there's that, um, from a commercial viewpoint, I, I really, I'm struggling still to see whenever there's gonna be that tipping point where you can actually start to make some money from, from AR. Um, I think we're still experimenting with it. Um, and for people to pay to go into a dome or pay to have a virtual experience, you know, do you, do you really think you're gonna come back again and again and again? I think it's nearly a one-off thing. and that business model is still, I think, some way off. Would you, would you not agree? It really depends on the content and the experiences. Um, I think, yes, I don't, it's not a sustainable, it's not a scalable, sustainable model if it's just a singular experience without the layers and the depth um, that could be in the, or the changing of those experiences. I think, I think there's a few things to consider. Look, it, depends the approach. Um, the most expensive of all are the physical landscapes, artscapes. Um, those become really expensive because you're building out. Digital and virtual, um, I think, are the most uh, scalable, um, especially if you think about um, the idea of democratizing the cost of content development. So whereas before um, it might, it was, harder to create these experiences without pulling in um, Hollywood level or costing um, creators to be able to uh, create. Um, we, there are now technologies and tools out there, actually there's somebody in our audience here who has a creator platform that empowers anyone to become the creator, it makes it very easy to, um, to basically create these immersive experiences and put them out there. So if you can, you can empower a creator network and a creator group to bring the, the content. And if the content's digital and your delivery mechanisms are digital, whether it's AR or other, I think that's where you can start to see, um, you know, cost savings. Um, it will, you know, do people come back? Yeah, I mean, look, we've seen it work successfully for companies like a Meow Wolf. They come back because the depth and layers in that store, as you can't, you can't, you will never be able to do or see everything once, maybe even three or four times. You know, I've been there several times and still find new things. Um, I think that's key. I think it's a novelty aspect. I think things like, and you know, I, I'm not a, I'm not the biggest fan of the Instagram selfie type museum experiences because I feel they just, they're not really create that. And I, I don't want to, you know, it's not a judgy thing, but I just, I just feel like 
there is not, you're not getting that much out of it beyond some great photos and, you know, for social media um, versus you, you know, it's, it's really, that's the kind of experiences that why would you go back versus, you know, something that's delivered AR wise, you know, you can continue the story. You can have chapters, you can have, I mean, there's so many ways to, to, to do storytelling within these mediums. I think, I think there are ways to, um, for this to be successful. Focus. Um, I also think that because it's digital, you can iterate fast. So instead of building out the whole thing, you can test it, invite a few members of the public, you know, invite them in um, as uh, don't charge people for tickets, get them, people to come in and be real life testers. I mean, that's one thing we did a lot of user testing before they opened the doors. And I can tell you, we could have done months more and you will never learn what you learn when you open the doors, you know, and when you've got a hundred thousand people coming in over a few months quickly, you learn a lot. You know, and that's where the test is. So, you know, there's a lot I would do differently. There's, there's, I would have done more closed group testing and, you know, try to, if you can do more soft launching and things like that. But I do believe that, um, I do believe that, uh, that there is a future here. And I, I think you're going to continue to see it. Um, there are companies that are actually doing well right now in a pandemic in location-based area 15 is an example of that. Thank you. Uh, what you got? Uh, future of LBE look like? Um, hmm. I think uh, I, I really believe that, well, you know, I, I'd love to see, here's a future I'd love to see with LBE specifically, is that you have anchor locations, whether they're the same. I, I'd love to see all these variety of companies and types of LBEs coexist in this space. Complementary versus co competi co competitive. Um, even if their experiences aren't the same, maybe see a shared economy across these types of locations. Um, you know, using... Um, using blockchain and other ways to transact, using RFID to, you know, to basically deliver personalized experiences and even have ways to connect people in between. You'll start to see with the advent of 5G and, you know, with um, what probably Apple um, will be bringing to market in the next couple of years, you know, and sort of the, the, the added layer of contextualizing the world, we'll start to see more of these connections between these experiences. And I think you'll, the physical LBEs will not go away. They are important to create an anchor point, but you'll create virtual extensions and create accessibility points um, in other mediums. That's at least my belief of the future. Hi, Layla. Hi. Hi, yeah. The only reason I turn off my video is just because it's, it hurts with the bandwidth. That's the problem with Zoom. But anyway, thanks for this amazing presentation. I had a question about what do you think about esports? Because I know you have the background with like PlayStation and uh, Activision. You know, I I used to work with both actually, and uh, I was fortunate enough to be around when Obscure Digital was still here in San Francisco. Now, of course, they moved to LA, and that was I was there when they with the inception of the the whole concept of the the sphere for so I saw the the groundbreaking kind of you know the research and development that went into it do you what how do you see esports being a component playing into this landscape 
um, you know, because I know esports is starting to get lots of tra uh, traction now. But what do you think about in terms of, you know, uh, esports integrating into, you know, because now the technology with quantum computing and now look at what NVIDIA did with the graphics card. Like that, those things are just, they're leaps and bounds. What, what's your perspective on that? I'd love um, it's a great question, and I have a, a limited answer to that. Um, you know, I think I think actually we started seeing esports becoming its own LBE over the last couple of years, becoming a subset of location-based entertainment as you start to break out these subsets. Um, I think looking esports is what I saw happen with esports in the location space was almost an evolution of what was an arcade or a family entertainment center bringing bringing um bringing the youth i guess um into uh into these technologies and into these locations but um i haven't spent enormous amount of time looking at the esports space to be honest kevin um and it's been a few years since i've been in working in video games um but it's a great question and if anyone else here has an answer or would like to throw one out please do Uh, any other questions? I have a question. Uh, really great presentation. I I was fascinated by the fact that you had this installation in partnership with Hololens. It looked like it was Hololens One. Is that correct? It it was the Hololens One. It wasn't in partnership with Microsoft, but we used. Oh, it wasn't. No, we had we did use the Hololens One. Then. Yeah, we. It was the first mixed reality experience um, that used immersive AR. So the Hololens. Um, 40 people, 40 plus people simultaneously. Oh, okay. So I actually thought that they might have contributed those to your installation. Um, no, unfortunately not. They, you know, they contributed some things to us for sure, but, um, we had our own, um, we had our own lenses. We actually had a hundred hollow lenses. Wow. Yeah. We had a hundred dollar lenses, you know, just to, uh, I mean, I think, you know, technology's improved now. Um, the hardware's improved. Actually, we have the too there. Thank you. Um, it's an amazing tech. Um, so um, uh, I think that's going to allow these kind of experiences not to necessarily need as much hardware. I mean, when you think about if you've got 40 people, you want double to have already charged. As people come out, you give them charged ones. But again, that was the first version of a tech that wasn't made for consumer. So we pushed it to the boundaries. Um, but yeah. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. I was just curious and the follow up with that was what kind of challenges you had using that first version? Well, um, we, actually, <laughs> we have somebody in the audience who can speak to that. Um, if he feels like it does not need to, uh, Ray, I don't want to put you on the spot, but I'm, Oh, I'll put you on the spot. <laughs> Ray's uh, all yeah, there, here, everyone. Happy, happy to dive in. Uh, the challenges were numerous, and the device, while uh, presented us with nonstop uh, unexpected learnings, still uh, stays a fond place in my heart. Um, we've now moved on to the Hololens too, so happy to say a lot of these challenges are behind us now. But um, you know, everything from the the charging cables on a fleet of 100 Hololenses not being reliable, and us having to implement analytics behind the scenes to see which devices weren't charging effectively. 
to spatial anchors uh, getting lost uh, when the, you know, subtle lighting conditions change and having to build a backup anchoring system so that the device would be able to locate themselves when there was large crowds of people who would throw off the, the anchoring um, to uh, issues with the operating system. Um, we were really pushing the devices far past what Microsoft thought was possible. And um, we ran into you know, every manner of odd bug you might find uh, when you push a device uh, that's, that's not intended for consumers uh, to run thousands of people simultaneously through an experience throughout the day. Um, now, fortunately, Microsoft was very responsive, um, some cases faster than others, uh, but we were able to you know, help them identify things like uh, certain modes on the device didn't have the, the correct setup if you used um, different parameters, like there's a kiosk mode for the device. And the way we had had it set up, there were there were times when kiosk mode did not work correctly or presented um, bugs for loading. Uh, and we worked very closely with the Microsoft team in, in working through those. Um, and then even even down to really obscure issues, like sometimes when the microphone would pick up too much ambient chatter, we would find that we'd get a you know one in ten or one in a hundred uh, crash bug because an audio driver that had never been stress tested was now trying to pick apart the, uh, the speech of 20 people talking simultaneously. Um, so across the board, it's definitely a frontier experience um, trying to wrangle the HoloLens and make it work with so many people. And uh, I think as Layla mentioned, by, the, by E3, we had got it to the point where we could set up the entire experience in a matter of days. Uh, that was not the case when we first started. So there's a rapid amount of learning and accelerated uh, optimization throughout the, the history of uh, the garden and into the future for sure. So it sounds like Microsoft should have been paying you guys for stress testing for them. Well, as and it turns we'll out, let you quote there, right there. Yeah, <laughs> as, as it turns out, we are now a gold tier uh, reseller yeah. of the HoloLens too. So Microsoft is, in fact, now paying us to sell the HoloLenses, um, <laughs> and uh, and they're wow. they're really excited by what we're doing. You know, the head of the program, Alex Gitman and uh, Layla, definitely she can speak to it. But when he came through the garden. Um, and Charlie Hunt, the, the principal of the program for HoloLens too. Both of them had very kind things to say. And I'm, I'll paraphrase Alex Kitman in that he's always envisioned the sort of experience that Layla was able to pull together with all the artists uh, in, in the Bay. Um, but you know, with Microsoft being a very enterprise-focused company, there wasn't a whole lot of internal momentum behind building something like that. Um, and especially because they kind of, you know, maybe marketed it too much for consumers back in 2016 and then maybe changed expectations when they realized where, where the field of view is at. Um, so he was really excited to be able to see someone else be able to hold that torch and run with it. Um, so there's definitely a special place uh, in Microsoft's heart for the Emerald Garden and the stuff we were able to do for them because at the time there was no other um, motion from anyone in the, in the mixed reality development community to do something like that. It was certainly a crazy endeavor that Microsoft didn't think was possible. So maybe this is kind of like an anecdote that could semi-answer Fergus's question of how you can monetize your experiences and something like you can actually create great partnerships by taking a, essentially like a, a leap forward with new technology. Yeah, absolutely. I'll echo what Layla said there too about the depth of the experience. I think really, you know, to, to her credit um, with Meow Wolf, there might be some fun things that we might be announcing soon related to some companies in that space and augmented reality. Um, can't talk about it right now, but if, if we were able to talk about it, it would probably relate to the depth of the experience and being able to 
endlessly explore a space and find something new every time you got there and not have to touch anything too, which it turns out to be very appropriate these days. Yeah, actually, that's a really good point. Um, uh, if you, you know, to want to test LBE coming back, I do believe that spatial tech is the right way to do it, especially as you can play the social distance or the six feet or the 12 feet or whatever feet we want to make it. You can play that into narrative and you can start to create these AR or VR, well, it wouldn't be VR at this point, but AR borders, boundaries that keep people apart. Um, yeah. Yeah, thank you. Oh, and the, the Hollands too is cheaper and runs longer and is much better than the Hollands one too. So the economics have gotten much better since the first generation. Yeah, I you know this is an interesting. That's an interesting thing to bring up because for a long time there, we were we were um, you know the Hollands ones we were on the five k ones and you know you start to do that number that that math starts to look really scary when you go on a hundred of them. Now the uh, if you actually do the math on LBVR, it's more expensive because the backpack, the headset is not, the headset is one aspect. That might be the cheapest aspect of it, but the backpack and the computer, all of that, you start getting way above five grand per head on that. But then the throughput is tight versus AR is not. And I'm not, and eventually, you know, with Quest 2 and with the, with future sort of pass through technologies and these two you know, types of tech just blending, that's going to change. Um, but we're not there with the pass through is too, it's still not, you know, it doesn't have the same resolution and, and experience level yet. So, um, so from an AR perspective, I think, is it consumer on the immersive side? No, the tech's too expensive. And it's not, I think, made yet for that. I don't know. Um, but we have other devices that can extend the AR into home or elsewhere, um, which is the phone. But from a business model perspective, I definitely would say from a throughput um, that, you know, and also from a customer staffing perspective, because you can do more user experience and customer experience inside of the headset with, with you know, an AR, and you can reduce your costs of staff and docents and the amount of people that need to help. Um, you can reduce your costs of content development through digital means. I think there's, there's a, there's a, there's a play. I mean, there's definitely a model there. And by the way, anyone who wants to, um, I have a lot of learnings from two years of operating and running, two plus years of operating and running that experience with 100,000 people coming through the doors in less than a year. You know, we, I'm happy to share some of those learnings because there's a lot of things that I would have loved to know beforehand. But uh, there was no playbook because we, you know, really have been doing a lot of things that are brand new. Great. Well, this was awesome. Thanks, everybody. <laughs> yeah. Any other questions? I saw uh, Chris, Christy uh, wrote something on the chat. Uh, do you want to kind of elaborate the question or the thoughts? She might have left, but I think she was. Oh, she left. Yeah. Oh, she's there, Christy. I, I think it's beautifully written. Yeah. Um, do you want to read your thing out or do you know? Uh, sure, I'll read it out. Sorry, I had to plug in my microphone. Um, I just added that every day our experience of life exists within a perceived context. Our personal narratives live within the mesh of our surroundings. And XR can transform this perceived meshwork into constructive narrative cradles, frameworks for connection and ideation. 
by combining a sense of presence, embodiment, and agency, XR can both lessen the physical distance barrier between people and ideas and engage people with perspective-widening, empathy-building experiences that transfer to real-world intention. And this, this is my philosophy behind getting into both AR and VR. Um, I essentially got into it from the empathy side of things, um, though I've also enjoyed getting more into the, the social VR aspect of it um, as far as creating these contexts or worlds that people can connect in. Um, but also, uh, along with that, have found the, the idea that we can step into another perspective in VR is just such a new experience that we haven't had the capability to do in storytelling previously. Like we can create these stories through a, some, another perspective that you wouldn't have been able to be in that person's shoes previously. Um, like even we could watch movies on a screen, but we're still disconnected from that world when we watch on a screen or read in a book. Uh, both VR, we can now actually step into that world and be in the context of that perspective. And it's just uh, really inspiring for me in this field. <laughs> yeah, thank you for that. Me too. I agree. This is great. I'm, 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 I've copied that quote of yours. <laughs> Use it somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> great. Thank you. Uh, yeah, any questions? Dominique, it's Fergus again. Can I ask, um, uh, can, we, can we all stay connected after this? You know, I, I'd be keen to talk to a few people. Um, and I think, uh, Lily, you talked about maybe having a community-based approach or yeah. having virtual extensions to our group and stuff. I, I, I'm just keen to learn. Um, I've got a few clients, small clients, albeit uh, small budgets, but we're always looking to spend a little money and doing some pilots and doing some... So again, if anybody's got anything cool or anything immersive, uh, over in Ireland, we're great storytellers, but I, I would love to turn that into, you know, to sharing those stories across the world uh, digitally. Um, so we have loads of content, we've got great actors, we've got great scenery, we've got uh, great myths and legends. Um, so um, I'd just love to stay connected with you all and maybe try and reach out and maybe catch up again and maybe share some ideas and maybe get some some uh, global stuff going. I'm down. Yeah, um, yeah. Welcome to join our Discord. I just post the link on our chat. Yeah. So right now we have more than a hundred um, members who love um, kind of connect after uh, the meetup. So yeah. So welcome to sure. just join it, and then you can post anything we have. Uh, like people from different areas. Some people are like industry leaders. Some people are like like beginners. They want to get into XR. And we have a lot of different de developers and we have uh, everything. Like whatever you think of, you can just post. Maybe someone will give you the answer or anything. And we even have drop board and all the events. Some people, they will um, post events. I remember one of our members he just, I, I remember I want to um, host an event on Allspace, but I was not really good at like, you know, like kind of controlling and being the moderator. And one of the members just told me, kind of private message me like, oh yeah, I am a 
you know, moderator working for uh, all space. If you have anything, just ask me. So, I mean, there are so many different skill set. People just join and you can feel free to um, uh, connect with each other later. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Yeah, sure. Yep. And I just dropped my email in the, in the chat. Anyone feel free to reach out. No spam, please. <laughs> cool. Cool. Yeah. Any questions? Yeah. And then right now, I, I mean, before uh, last year, I went to the void and played like Star Wars with my friend, um, like last year. And it was really fun. And I mean, like when I saw Vegeta uh, standing in front of me trying to kill me, I was so shocked. Like, I feel heart attacked. It's more real than the movie. So, I mean, <laughs> I mean, like, it's because right now I, I love playing games. I play PS4 games. Right now I'm playing Assassin's Creed. So when I play, like, the, the games on my monitor, I feel it's real, but not that real. Like, Vader just in front of me and, uh, like, you know, trying to take out, like, my life or something. So... I mean, that, that, that experience was like really shocking and I really, really loved uh, the location base, like a small, like uh, we went to a mall around Burbank and then, yeah, that was kind of like my first or second experience uh, for location-based uh, VR. But unfortunately, um, right now due to COVID, I couldn't really experience location-based VR. I only can use like, you know, like Oculus, my, my Oculus Quest, like one, like, I mean, it's not bad, but it's not as good as, uh, you know, the, the void, like fully equipped. Uh, and then all, like uh, all the rendering are, looks so good. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, I am wondering what do you think that COVID and location-based it probably will affect a little bit and probably, I mean, after next year, maybe everything will become better. Or you think that even location-based will be more like virtual location-based, like Burning Man, everything just holds on the cloud. What do you see that? Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's a um, great question. So I don't, like I, I think I've said a couple of times, I don't think replacing and trying to replace an experience that should exist out of home with in-home. Um, it doesn't work for everything. Burning Man translated really well into the VR space. Um, and I don't know that we would have known that despite the assumptions we had that it would until we did it. Um, I, I don't think it's about replacing, like you're not gonna recreate the void at home or you're not going to recreate Secrets of the Empire for an at-home experience. But there could be an extension of the story world or what you experience in location at the Void that you can then do at home that makes sense for at home, right? And then whatever that experience could also be measured or, or counted in some way so that next time you go into a physical location, that's, you know, still remembered so i think i think um hopefully that answers your question is there's going to be scenarios where 
I'm talking about how do you use this moment. Like, I'm not saying replace going to a full dome by doing it in VR, but I'm saying that you can have both. Um, and right now, since we can't go to full domes, why not experience it in VR if you can with your friends? Um, but you know, if, if, and again, once we're back in physical, do you keep those extensions? Yeah, I don't see why not. You can recreate, you, you make them more relevant to the platform, the at-home platform. I think today we're trying to recreate too much at home to replace the fact that we can't do anything. Um, some things have worked and some haven't. Um, but I, I think, you know, the anchor and the physical is still very important. And also getting together in real life. That's really important too. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Cause I remember, um, I had another question with another like game background, game design background person. I asked him like, Hey, you have a game design background. What do you see? Like a VR game will replace like movies or replace PS4 or other, you know, like, um, or even Nintendo switch. And he just said that, you know, in our brain, we have two types or, or more types of like, you know, cognition. First one is like, we want to, we want everything to be so easy, right? It's like a UX UI design. Uh, just give me a big button. And once I hit it, and then I can get whatever I want, like the lazy mode. Another mode is that we, I, I want to explore. I want to learn things. I want to strive for my, for my life. So that's the kind of like more uh, competitive mode. So both modes are um, existing, coexisting. So for example, people, sometimes we just want to sit on our chair and watch a movie, right? That's great. Cause you don't need to, you know, like do anything, you just absorb. But uh, sometimes we want to play a game because we want to brainstorm, we want to solve the puzzle, we want to achieve. And sometimes we want to immersive ourselves into different world. So all these types of needs or equipments are needed for different, uh, to, to fulfill our different needs. So there is no like, oh, this will be replaced another experience. No, it should be coexist. So I think, yeah, so I think that is great. Uh, all the experience should be coexist. It's not like, oh, this one will replace that physical one, but it should be like, yeah, sometimes we want to stay at home. Sometimes we want to go to the location. Yeah, it should be all exists according to our needs. Yeah. Yes, I agree. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's been a, the pandemic has been a disaster by all accounts. And at the same, you know, in our industry, it's, it, it's a hard thing to say that it's actually benefited this industry of XR. It's, you know, from an enterprise perspective, I mean, I've, I've worked um, on the enterprise side the last several months um, in collaboration with a company called Cleanbox Technology, who create UVC decontamination of, of different electronics, including AR, VR headsets. And um, through that experience, I was able to see the exponential growth just in the last six, six to eight months of, um, of VR especially, um, within enterprises um, and the number of headsets being sent out. And if you think about it in a pandemic, people working remotely, those headsets go to homes, those homes, those people are then consumers of the VR. And so, um, you know, you're starting to see 
innovation both in the entertainment space as well as innovation in the technology itself as a result of this, which is going to take us to much faster, um, you know, to where we want to all be with the tech. Um, so that's exciting. Yeah, cool. Yeah. So any other questions? Uh, yeah, if not, then thank you, Lila, for giving us such an amazing uh, presentation and hopefully like talk to you pretty soon again. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me and, you know, everyone here. Nice to meet you. Thanks for sharing some of your Saturday with me. Um, next time, if we do one on Halloween, must insist that we all wear costumes. I didn't even think about it this morning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Right. Okay, cool. Well, Thank thanks, you. everyone. It's been yeah. really great. Yeah. Thank Appreciate you. Bye-bye.